kick things off though with a story, just to kind of get the ball rolling. Um, not long after Lee and I got married, we went backpacking. We went on this epic kind of journey, six and a half months around the world. About six weeks into the trip, uh, we arrive in London after an overnight flight from New York. Like we're tired, we're desperate to get to the place we're staying. So we jump straight on the tube at Heathrow Airport. Now Lee, I've got to say, Lee was the brains of the operation at this stage, okay? She's got the travel guide, she knows the name of the hostel that we're heading to, and she knows how to get us there. Uh, at one point, we've got to change trains to get to where we're going. And so when the train comes to a halt, Lee gets up and Lee gets off the train, but I'm kind of lagging a little bit behind, I'm backpacking everything on. Anyway, I get caught at the doors in this flood of incoming passengers, and I'm stuck on the train. The doors kind of automatically shut in front of me, and I look out, and I see Lee on the platform, she can see me, and she's just watching in horror as I kind of just disappear off into the distance of this mystery train. Like, I've got to say, at that moment, like, I'm feeling really lost, okay? She's got the travel guide, she knows where we're going, I have absolutely no idea. I'm in London, I've never been to London before, I am uh, absolutely lost and alone at that point. Now, it was an awful feeling. It was a really sinking feeling. I wonder, have you ever been really lost? You know, really, truly lost. Um, I'm sure we all have been lost in some way, at some point, at some time. Um, but when you are lost, when you are lost, you know you're lost, don't you? And it's, and it's an awful, dreadful feeling. Now, in this series, we're talking about another kind of being lost. We're not talking about physical lostness, like my little story, we're talking about being spiritual lost, okay? A form of lostness which is even more awful, way more awful, and often you don't even know it. Yeah, that's the thing. You don't even know a lot of the time. Now, I know this because I was like a classic case in point. See, up to the, up to the age of 25, I was spiritually lost, but I had no idea, none. You know, I was just kind of living in this blissful ignorance. Uh, up until my mid-twenties, my life had kind of gone like this. Like I'd grown up as a grommet in Collaroy on the northern beaches. I'd, go to the, I'd gone to the local public school, Cromer High. I had lots of friends. We kind of partied up and down the northern beaches. I was a young lawyer. I had a pretty fiancé. We were just about to get married in the upcoming summer. Like, I didn't feel lost. I didn't feel lost. Anything but. Like, life was sweet. But then something happened. That just changed everything. We decided to get married here. That's the Matthews Manly. Uh, now, we only really chose this building because it's kind of a big and impressive building in the heart of Manly. That's really the only reason we chose to get married here. But I'm stoked that we did. Because through Richard Harvey, the minister here back then, um, God helped Lee and I to see that we were lost. That we were lost in our sin. And that we needed to be found that we needed, we needed to be reunited with our Creator. Now, to cut a long story short, at, a, at the end of a bunch of meetings with um, Richard Harvey, on the 29th of October, 1995, he led us in this prayer, okay, which we prayed. You can see the prayer up on the screen there. We then signed and dated these little spiritual birth certificates that day. We stuck those birth certificates in the back of, this, in the back of these uh, Good News New Testaments that Richard gave us. Uh, we then put these New Testaments in our backpacks, uh, and went on that journey that I was telling you about. Now, we had been lost. We had been lost. But from that moment, 
on the 29th of October 1995, we'd been found. And we've been on this epic journey ever since. And I wouldn't have it any other way, that is for sure. Now, maybe you too have been lost spiritually, but then you've been found. And if so, you've got a lost and found story as well. It's been great hearing some of the stories um, from Emily and from Barry and from Glennis and, and others last week and others in the weeks to come that are going to come up here. It's great to hear these little lost and found stories. And, you know, you may not come up on the platform and share it, but if you want to share your story with me, I'd love to hear it. But it'd be great if we're sharing those little stories around with one another. Um, it may be, though, that you're still lost spiritually. Maybe you're still lost and you don't even know. Now, if that's the case, we would really love to help you. But wherever you're at, wherever you're at, I just want to say, listen up. Because you see, you are, you are, you personally are somewhere in this famous parable that we're going to look at this morning. Um, you are in it, and my prayer is that somehow you will allow, you'll open yourself to God, you'll allow yourself to be found in this parable, and that you'll call out to God from wherever you are. Okay, that's my prayer for you. Now, before we get stuck into it, let's, uh, let's get the context, because context is important to understand who Jesus is speaking to and why. Now, verses 1 and 2 in chapter 15, I hope you've got your Bibles open, tells this. The tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus is teaching this big crowd, right? And basically in the crowd there's two kinds of people. Firstly, there's rebels, all right? These are people who like live hard, party hard, they don't follow rules, they don't go to church. Other people kind of look down on them and class them as sinners. And the second crowd in the group, or second group in the crowud, is rule keepers. This is another group. They're people who strive to live morally and upright. They're respected in the community. They maybe they're religious, and they describe themselves as righteous. Okay, these are the two groups. Now, rule keepers do not hang out with rebels. Okay, they just don't. And as we see here in verse two. They don't like Jesus hanging out with rebels either. Now, to put a modern spin on this, I guess it would be kind of like, to them at least, kind of like imagining the Pope uh, at a nightclub in Manly in denim jeans, you know, having a few beers and a dance and then a late night kebab on the corso. That's kind of probably what's going on for them. And they don't like it. Now, in response to their muttering, Jesus tells this story to show them what they're like, okay, to show us, what we're like, but also to show us what God is like. And this story, I'm sure, you know, most of us know this story well, um, but the story has three main characters. A younger son, okay, who represents the rebels uh, that Jesus has been welcoming. There's an older son who represents the rule keepers uh, who have been muttering. And then there's a father who represents God. Now what we're going to do here is we're just going to work our way through this story, just one character at a time, and we'll apply it to ourselves as we go. But as we go along, I really love you to be considering who you are most like in this story. Okay? It's not God. Okay? <laughs> but I hope, that, I hope you don't go away kind of with that application. Um, but who are you most like in this story? Are you more like the rebel or a rule keeper or somewhere along the scale in between? We're all there somewhere. Okay, so firstly... The younger son, the rebel. 
Now, if you haven't already, please open your Bibles. We're going to be digging right into the text. We're going to be going pretty much right through it. It'd be good for you to, uh, to have your nose in the text with me. Now, from verse 11, Luke 15. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off to a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Okay, so what do we got here? We got here a young guy. He's sick of living at home. He's sick of being told what to do. He's sick of rules. And so he takes whatever his father's got to give and then he, he turns and he leaves his father and he makes his own rules. Okay, he makes his own rules and he lives it up in a foreign land. Parties, alcohol, girls, the whole lot, giving no thought whatsoever to where this might lead him. We're told, verse 14, after he'd spent everything, there's a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out as a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. Now, in the context, for a Jew... Now, feeding pigs, feeding unclean pigs, was about as low as you could possibly go. Okay, so he gets to the point where he's hit rock bottom. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, I wonder if you can kind of see what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is painting a picture for us. He's painting a picture of where human sin leads people. Okay, of where being a rebel takes us, of how it ruins us, of how it leaves us desperately lost and alone, which is where this guy is. And take special note of this, sin here. And people don't like to hear about sin, but sin here is not just this guy's wild living. It is his wild living, but it's not just that. At its very heart, his sin is, his, is him taking everything that his father has to give him, okay, gladly, but wanting nothing to do with his father. Like that is at the very heart, sin. And so where does that leave you and me? Where does it leave us? Because if you're anything like me, you know, haven't you, haven't you just happily taken all the good gifts God has to offer us? Life and relationships, and family and friends and food and money and you know, the list goes on. While at the same time, have you ever just lived away, distantly from God, the giver? Because you see, that at its very core is what sin is. It's living life away from God. And we all do it. Maybe you're just like this son, some of you. You know, maybe like me as a 25-year-old, you're still living it up. Sin's still a thrill. You're having a great time. Just reveling in it. If that's you, I just want you to let this story be a preview to you of where your life will eventually end up, okay? If not now, then certainly in the age to come. Lost and alone. Maybe though, you've already experienced some of the lows that come from distancing yourself from God. You know, maybe you, you've believed sin's lies and, uh, and you, you got stuck in. But now the party's over. You know, maybe your marriage is finished. Maybe you've destroyed friendships and relationships. Maybe you've ruined your health to some degree. 
And so now maybe some of us, we just feel that, you know, we're lost, we're alone, there's no hope. You know, you know, when I was lost and alone on that train in London, okay, just heading away from the only one who could get me to be where I needed to go, I knew what I had to do. It was obvious. I'd made the mistake. I had to turn around. I had to head back in her direction, which is exactly what I did, unfortunately. She found me. <laughs> I knew what I had to do, you see. Now listen very carefully to the turning point in the story for this rebellious young son. We're told, verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, look, here I am, starving to death. I mean, at that point, he knows that he's lost, he's alone, and he's in desperate need. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And you know, it's, it's kind of as if this, this young person finally wakes up from this kind of crazy sleepwalk that he's been living. It's as if he finally wakes up to himself and what does he do? Well, he, he does a huge backflip. He does a massive U-turn. He, he decides, I'm going to turn away from trying to live life my own way and I'm going to turn back to my father for his forgiveness. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. You know, how often do we know what we should do and yet we don't do it? Yet we think about it. Maybe we think about it, we ponder about it, we procrastinate again and again, but we don't do it. Well, this young son, he didn't just sit there thinking about it. He got up, he left the pigsty that he was in and he headed home. And it brings us to the next and the most important character in this story, to the gracious father. Look with me from verse 20, okay? The young son, he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Okay, was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to him and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, he said, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so what they do, it says they began to celebrate. They celebrated. Now, you know, as we said at the start, it is an awful thing to be lost. It's awful being lost. And we, we know that feeling, I'm sure. But do you know what can be even more distressing than being lost yourself sometimes? Losing someone else. Losing someone you love. You know, Bruce shared last week how his son, he lost his son at the Easter show and, and kind of how distressing that was. I also know the feeling. Um, here in Manly on a really crazy busy day down the beach of, of feeling like my son's gone missing. It's a, it's a terrible feeling. I'm sure we have all seen those missing persons posters, you know, on the news, on, on telegraph poles, and we see that, that face missing, lost. Well, you know, behind every one, behind every single one of those lost faces, 
is a family. A family who would love more than anything else to have that lost one found. You know, no matter what it was that took them away from them, they just want them back. Here in Luke chapter 15, what do we see? We see a father. A father who, you know, after being told by his child, Dad, I want your stuff, but Dad, I don't want a bar of you. You A father who, after the agony of his child rejecting him and then just taking off and leaving him, what does he want more than anything? He wants his son to return home. He longs for him to come home. And when he sees him, way off in the distance, what does he do? He runs, he sprints, and then he grabs his son and embraces him and kisses him and lavishes him with all kinds of gifts and they celebrate. And you know, that is, that is just what God the Father is like. The Father in this story. God the Father, you see, he longs for all of his children to come home, to welcome them and to celebrate. And so I want to say to you that, you know, if you've ever wondered how God will respond to you, if you turn back to him, just read this story. This is how. This is how. When you are still a long way off, God will run to you. He will embrace you. He will forgive you. Maybe for some of us, God is coming to you right now. Maybe he's coming right now. And he can forgive you. And he will. Before we look at how God forgives you, let's turn briefly to to this other son, okay? the rule keeper, the self-righteous one. Because as we know from verse 2, Jesus tells this story as a response to these rule keepers, okay? to, to people who think somehow that their own effort counts in their own standing before God, to people who they are either religious or they're just self-righteous, uh, or maybe both, whose hearts are just filled with their own sense of goodness, their own worthiness, okay? and, and who look down upon other people. Now, the older brother in the story is, is one of them, just like the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to. Look at me from verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brother has come home, he said, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, is, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother, though, became angry and refused to go in. I mean, what's going on? He becomes angry and he refuses to go in. And so the father went out okay, and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the cat and fattened calf for him. You see, this older brother, he was a rule keeper. He was a rule keeper. But, but the effect of his rule keeping was that it, just, it only made him proud. So he was proud, he was self-righteous, and he was really judgmental of other people. And you know, that is a massive trap for us too, isn't it? 
a massive trap. It's not just for religious people and churchgoers, but for anyone to fall into this trap of self-righteousness and pride. And maybe you're here today, and whether, whether you come to church regularly or not, maybe you're here this morning, and, and you kind of, when you think about yourself, you think, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm actually a pretty good person. Maybe you think, I can think of a whole bunch of people that are way worse than me. And I want to say, you know, if that's you, if you kind of have that opinion of yourself, that is a serious problem that you've got. It's a massive problem. Because it's the kind of attitude that Jesus is confronting head on in this parable, the self-righteous attitude that thinks, you know, somehow my own performance uh, deserves God's favour. And that, you know, and that other people, they deserve God's judgment. If that's you, and I am sure it is, some of us, you've got to hear this. Now, this is often called the parable of the prodigal son. But there's two sons in this story. Okay? Two sons. And the oldest son in this story is just as lost, just as lost, just as far away from his father as the younger son was, even when the younger son was off squandering his wealth in wild living. The older son is just as lost. Why? Because you see this elder son, he didn't love his father either. He didn't love his father. Not really. I mean, yeah, he stuck around. He kept rules. Yeah, he was moral. He was kind of upright. But not because he treasured his father. He did all this to try to earn his father's treasure. Through his own goodness and through his own efforts. And you know, in some ways at 25, I was a little bit like this son too. I was kind of a combo of these two sons. I was moral. I was kind of respectable. I mean, I kept most of the rules, not all of them, but I was a lawyer, you know. I'd dress up in a suit and I'd go into court and represent other people for crimes they'd done. I thought I was pretty good. Way better than most of the rebels that I was kind of seeing in court. But here's the thing. I was just as lost. Every bit as lost. I just had no idea. Just didn't know it. You see, when the father came out to this elder son, and I want you to notice that, the father again, what does he do? The father comes out. The father's the one that comes. He initiates to meet this son, to graciously try to plead with him, to bring the son in, just like he'd done with the younger son. When the father comes out to this older son, what should he have done? He should have fallen on his knees. I mean, he should have done anything but what he did do. He should have fallen on his knees and like the younger son, he should have said to his father, Father, I am not worthy to be called your son. Father, I am self-righteous. Please forgive me for my attitude toward you. And friends, you see, when God comes to each of us, God wants to find that very same attitude of humility and unworthiness in our hearts too. That's what he wants. He doesn't want to find pride. You know, maybe, as I said, maybe God's coming to you right now. Maybe, you know, whether you're a rebel, a rule keeper, whether you're somewhere in between, wherever you're at, maybe God is coming to you right now. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. Maybe that's why you're feeling the way you're feeling as you're hearing God's word. 
And if so, I want to say you've got to know this. You've got to know that to receive God's forgiveness, you see, to, to truly be welcomed home by God the Father and to come back to Him, you've not only got to identify with a son in this story, okay? you've not only got to identify with one of the sons in this story, you've got to worship the son who told the story. You've got to worship the son who told the story, the perfect son, God the son, Jesus, who came, as we're told, to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, the one who suffered on the cross. He, he bore all our sin, all our rebellion, all our self-righteousness upon himself. Jesus, who on that cross was sent by God the Father a long way off. Why? So that God the Father, when we're a long way off, could run to us. so that we who are lost could be found. We've got to worship Jesus. And you know, every single one of us is in this story. Every one of us. If you're here today, you're not a Christian, then you know, whether you're an out-and-out rebel, kind of engaged in wild living, whether you're a rule keeper who's moral and upright and proud, whether you're somewhere in between, wherever you are, it is only to the extent that you understand your own sin, okay, and that you understand your need for Jesus the Saviour. It is only to the extent that you are really, truly melted and moved by what Jesus did for you as he hung upon that cross so that you could be found and forgiven by God the Father. It is only to the extent that you believe that, that you get that, that you truly embrace that and live in the light of it that you'll not be a rebel or a, a self-righteous rule keeper, but you'll be a Christian. You'll be someone who was lost, but truly now is found. If you're here today, and I want to say, if that's you, then Simply Christianity next week. Sign up. Sign up. You know, grab a little Connect card out of your bulletin, whack your name down, your contact details, say... I want to do Simple Christianity and sign up to it. It may just change your life. God may just find you in the midst of that. If you're here though today and you're already a Christian, I want to say to you, to, to, to my fellow brothers and sisters, then never forget this. Never forget that God is still on a mission to seek and save the lost. That God longs, he absolutely longs as a loving father to to find lost rebels and rule keepers. Never forget that God celebrated when he found you lost in your sin. You know, he celebrated on the 29th of October 1995 when Lee and I sat in Richard Harley's office and prayed. God celebrated. And you see, God wants you to celebrate when he finds others. He doesn't want you to be on about yourself. This series is called Living Beyond Ourselves. God wants you to be part of his mission. God wants you to seek out other rebels, other rule keepers, to know them, to love them, to point them to the Saviour. Ultimately, what do people need most? They need the Saviour. And so he wants us to do that in the, in the context of relationship. And he wants us to celebrate whenever God finds and forgives and welcomes another person home. That's what he wants. The question is, will we do that? Will we live beyond ourselves? 
Will we live beyond ourselves? Will we surrender all? You know, we are going to sing again. We're going to stand and sing together. I surrender all. I surrender all. Will you do that? Will you surrender yourself to God? Will you give yourself to Him and to His mission of seeking and saving the lost? Will you live beyond yourself? And will you surrender all? For us, it means we're heading to Kellyville. For you, I don't know. But will you surrender all? Will you get stuck here to become, get amongst God's mission of seeking and saving the lost? Wherever you're at, I just want us each to take a moment now in the quietness of our own heart to pause and to pray upon what God has taught each of us today. And then we'll sing.